you open your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 2, Ephesians chapter 2 will be our key text today. So we consider as a church remembering who we are, remembering who we are. If you're uh, 25 years old or older, you'll remember, but maybe you're younger than 25 and you'll still know. I'll never forget the summer of 1994, having just returned from being a missionary in Africa. My dad thought it would be a good idea to take me and my sister and my nephew, who was five at the time, to go see the movie The Lion King. Now, I will refrain from singing to you any of the songs from The Lion King, but some of them are probably in your head right now, just at the mention of that. And so we went to see the movie The Lion King, and of course I'm taken from the very first opening scenes, you know, these panoramic, even though they're animated scenes, sweeping across different African uh, landscapes, some of which I had been to in the past two years. And, you know, I'm in that transition phase from, I'm an American, I went to Africa, I love Africa, now I'm coming back to America, what's next in my life? And so I'm all emotional anyhow. And multiple times during the film, my five-year-old nephew kind of looks up at me and says, Uncle Aaron, why are you crying? Well, because of all that was going on in my mind and in my heart. There's just one scene in the movie where Simba, the lion cub who ran away because he thought that he had done something to kill his father, but he was set up by his wicked uncle Scar is confronted by Rafiki, this kind of, um, I don't know, what would you, how would you describe Rafiki? Henri? Baboon. And Rafiki says to him, you know, look at your reflection in this pool of water. And he says, that's your father. Simba says, that's not my father, it's just my reflection. Rafiki says, he lives in you. And at that point in time, the clouds appear. It's almost like it's not a theophany. It's not God. It's not a Christophany. It's not Christ. But, you know, it's like a a Mufasa-ophany. So here is Mufasa in the sky. Isn't it interesting how, how Hollywood counterfeits things from the Bible? And Mufasa in the sky, as a spirit, speaks to his son, Simba, and he says to him, You have forgotten me. You are more than what you have become. Remember who you are. You are my son. And I'm sitting there crying and my nephew again looks up at me and says, Why are you crying again? But I'm seeing then what I'm trying to get you to see right now is that as believers in Jesus, every now and then we need to push the rewind button and go back and remember who we are in Christ Jesus. We get so caught up in life, even the Thanksgiving season. Thanksgiving is a great day, but now, you know, Black Friday shopping has encroached on Thanksgiving. And sometimes we get caught up in what we have or what we want, not in who we are. And so I call us today to remember who we are. And if you've got your Bibles there and uh, open them to Ephesians chapter 2, if you don't already, please do so right now. Ephesians chapter 2, and we're going to read the entirety of the chapter in just a moment. But for our church, let me remind us that our purpose is to grow Christ followers. Growing Christ followers is both who we are, 
We are his children, and we seek to have the mind of Christ, but it is also what we do because there is activities that we do in order to help others grow as Christ followers, which helps us grow as Christ followers. Scripture tells us we're always to have an answer, to be ready for any person at any time, 1 Peter 3.15. Hebrews 10, 24 and 25 reminds us that we're always to meet together and all the more as we see the day approaching, encouraging and spurring one another on towards love and good deeds. We are growing Christ followers who seek to grow Christ followers. That purpose for us is our vision. That's what we shoot at. That everything we do as a church should be about who we are, growing Christ followers. And that vision then has some boundaries to it by our values. Biblical engagement, worship life, worshipful lifestyle, intentional relationships, gifted service, and gospel sharing. These things are values for us at Southview. And then the strategies and structures are the what and the where and the how we accomplish these things. But it all starts with who we are in Christ. So if you would please, if you're able, stand with me in the honor of reading God's word. And I'll read for us Ephesians chapter 2 verse 1 through 22 in the New International Version. As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. All of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our sinful nature and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature objects of wrath. Verse 4. But... Because of His great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ. Even when we were dead in transgressions, it is by grace you have been saved. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with Him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus, in order that in the coming ages He might show the incomparable riches of His grace, expressed in His kindness to us in Christ Jesus. For it is by grace you have been saved, through faith. And this is not from yourselves, it is a gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. For we are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. Verse 11, Therefore, remember that formerly you were uh, you who are Gentiles by birth are co- and called uncircumcised by those who call themselves the circumcision, that done in the body by the hands of men. Remember that at that time you were separate from Christ, excluded from citizenship in Israel, and foreigners to the covenants of the promise without hope and without God in the world. But now, in Christ Jesus, you who once were far away have been brought near through the blood of Christ. Verse 14, for he himself is our peace who made the two one and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing in his flesh the law with its commandments and regulations. His purpose was to create in himself one new man out of the two, thus making peace. And in this one body to reconcile both of them to God through the cross 
by which he put to death their hostility. He came and preached peace to you who were far away and peace to those who were near. For through him we both have access to the Father by one Spirit. Consequently, you are no longer foreigners and aliens, but fellow citizens with God's people and members of God's household, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, with Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone. In him, the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. And in him, you too are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. Let's pray together. Our Father, we open your word and we come to this amazing, deep, profound passage of scripture. And we open it that your spirit might speak to us. And we pray, God, that we would hear clearly from you today. That if there's anything in our personal life that we need to offer to you, even at this very moment, that it would not be a distraction to us. We give that to you. Any sin we need to confess, we confess that to you. That we would lay ourselves at your feet and say, speak to us, Father, by your word and through your spirit. We thank you for your presence with us and what you'll teach us now. In Jesus' name. And everybody said, Amen. Amen. What you have and you see on your outline this morning is a contrast of what we were and what we are. What we were and what we are, that all of us were something different in the past. So 1.1 on your outline there is that we were dead due to our own sins. We were dead due to our own sins. Now, I could have just said dead to our sins, or, but I added the word own there for emphasis, that we would know that it is not somebody else's sins that caused us to be dead, someone else's sins that caused us to be separated from God and Christ, but it is our sins that each and every person who's ever lived is a sinner, and as such, all of us have sinned. And it's our sins, personally and individually, that separate us from God. Scripture tells us that. As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins. Transgressions, we broke God's law. Sin is we disobeyed God. In which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air. Remember... Paul is writing to a church. He's writing to believers in Jesus, like most of you are already believers in Jesus. And as such, he's talking to us about who we used to be. That before we trusted Christ as our Savior, we were dead and we were separated from God because of our sins. And we followed Satan in our own desires, which he would tempt us with to do our own thing. Verse 3 adds to that understanding. All of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our sinful nature and following its desires. We had the pleasure of being at the Brown Bogan household for Thanksgiving. I don't know how many people were there. 30-something maybe? 49? Wow. And you know what? By my count, there were 18 different pies And a half dozen other different types of desserts. 
One of my family members who will remain nameless was not feeling well on Thanksgiving Day, so we didn't get to stay all the way to the evening so I could have about five pieces of pie. I'm not casting any looks at anybody in particular, but do you believe I went through Thanksgiving without one piece of pie? Yeah, feel bad for me, right? Really? I had some good food. I had some other dessert. I love that tort. That stuff is amazing. But I didn't have any pie. I wanted to gratify my nature for some pie. Now, friends, there are things in our life that are so much worse than pie. Yeah, all of us, maybe maybe you don't like pie. I love pie. And I missed out on the pie on Thanksgiving. But all the things that are in our nature, that your temptation might be different from my temptation. Your sinful habit might be different from my sinful habit. And lest we look down our noses at one another and judge the other person on the thing that we don't struggle with while we're not looking at the thing we do struggle with, let us remember that all of us were dead in our own sins. All of us. The second point on your outline is that we were made alive in Christ. If you have trusted Christ Jesus as your Savior, you are a believer in Jesus, so the fact that you were saved and justified fully by faith is a past tense happening. And that passage of Scripture, you know I love it, I've said it so many times, Ephesians 2, 4, and 5, but because of His great love for us, God who is rich in mercy made us alive in Christ Jesus. We are alive. John 12, 25 through 26, Jesus says, whoever loves his life loses it. And whoever hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. If anyone serves me, he must follow me. And where I am, there my servant will be also. If anyone serves me, the Father will honor him. That we're made alive in Christ. And that our life should be one of obedience and following Christ. Because we've been made alive. Your third sub-point there under number one is that we've been saved by grace. It's not by works. It's not of ourselves. But it is by grace, through faith, we have been saved. In order to show the incomparable riches of the one who has saved us. There's nothing you can do to earn God's favor. You've already got it. He loves you not only because of who you are, or because of who you are, not in spite of who you are. And that God loves you enough to send His one and only Son, Jesus, to save us. Romans 5, 1 and 2 says, Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have gained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand, and we boast in the hope of Of the glory of God. When's the last time you boasted in the hope of the glory of God? 
I don't know about you, it's real easy for me to boast about things that I've done well or things that I feel accomplished about. But when I read that scripture, I have to be convicted of the fact that I don't often boast in the hope that I have because of the glory of God. What Pastor David shared about watching even that minute and a half video that talks to about us about obedience and evangelism and discipleship and how they're all rolled up together for us as believers in Jesus. We're saved by grace. And that grace should make a difference in our life. Your next point, 1.4, we were without God and without hope. Without God. And because we did not have God, we did not have hope. What does it say there in verse 11 and 12? Remember that formerly you were Gentiles by birth and that you were separate from Christ, excluded from citizenship in Israel, foreigners to the covenant of the promise, without hope and without God in the world, that it is God who gives us hope. Write down Romans chapter 8, verse 24 and 25. It says this, For in this hope we were saved. Now hope that is seen is not hope. For who hopes in what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. We don't see our salvation, the consummation of our salvation, when we go to glory and we're freed from this body and all the sinfulness and temptation of this world. But we wait for it because we have hope In Christ. I love Psalm 42 too. Why are you cast down, O my soul? And why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God. For I shall again praise Him, my salvation. Psalm 42 too. Some of you need to read that, write that down this morning. You need to memorize that because you're struggling with hope. 1.5 on your outline is that we were created to do good works. We were created to do good works. Verse 10, For in you are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in us advance to do. Now, it's not by works you are saved, but because you are saved, you should do works. There should be evidence in your life that you are a believer in Jesus. There should be fruit in your life that you are a believer in Jesus. People should be able to look at you and by the things you do and the things you say and the attitude with which you conduct yourself and say to themselves, this person is different. You have Jesus in you. You have life in you. You have hope. And you extend the grace and the mercy that you've received through Christ and offer that to others. And that enables you to do good works. Jesus says in Luke 6, 43 and 44, For no good tree bears bad fruit, nor again does a bad tree bear good fruit. For each tree is known by its fruit. For figs are not gathered from a thorn bush, nor are grapes picked from a bramble bush. It is by our good works. So 1.6 asks you an application question in summary of this where we were. And that is, which of these is most personal? When you think about these five summary points that we've considered from these first verses of Ephesians chapter 2, which of them is most personal to you today, right now? Is it the fact that 
you are created to do good works and the Holy Spirit has convicted you that you're not working as you should? Is it the fact that you're acting like you have no hope and you need to be reminded of the hope in Christ? Is it the fact that you don't extend grace to others because you haven't fully understood the grace you've received? Maybe that you're alive or that you were dead and you count your blessings and thank God for the fact that you have been saved and given new life. Which of them is most personal to you? We've got another video we want to show you about our Lottie Moon Christmas offering for international missions. And this one is of particular interest to us because it talks about dealing with international students in London, not in Lincoln, Nebraska. But I want to show you that as we consider this question of which one is most personal of where we were and where we are. So we'll let Richard push play on that for us. When you think of London, perhaps my accent is what comes to mind. But London is no longer really an English city. It's a world city. Every nation, culture and religion in the world is able to claim at least a handful of Londoners. And with more than 300 languages spoken, London lives up to its self-proclaimed title, Capital of the World. This is no more apparent than when you step into one of London's 48 different universities, where 100,000 international students walk the halls for one to three years. We've got students from all over the world. We've got students from Somalia, from Iraq, from Saudi Arabia. They're coming here to do their university studies in London. As they come here, they're studying, they're getting their degrees. We as Christians have the opportunity to engage them with the gospel. These students are going back to their home countries, countries that we as missionaries can't get into. And so if we can engage them in London, see the gospel transform their lives, they go back to their home countries with the gospel. Relationships with promising opportunity and having a passion for the lost. This new team is focusing on building relationships with international students. One thing that I pray every day is, Lord, help me to see people the way you see them and to see their hearts, and that I would love them the way you love them. So when I do that, when I go on campus or even if I'm talking to anyone on the street or someone in my community, I want to find out about them. I want to ask about their lives. What are you studying? What do you like to do? Share a little about me so that we're building a friendship so they know that I care about them. And then hopefully it would then lead to an open road of having a spiritual conversation and then to sharing the gospel with them. The team is surprised at how often they meet international students who have never heard the gospel, some of whom have never even heard the name of Jesus. One lady the other day, I was, I was speaking with her and I said, do you have a Bible? And she was like, what? She asked me like three times, what is a Bible? I did not have a Bible with me, but I did have some Christian literature that I left with her um, in hopes that she would read it. And I tried to explain to her, what the Bible is, but you come across that a lot where people have no idea what Christianity is. We had one girl, um, one of our interns, share with a guy who looked quite not normal, very, very much a little bit scary looking on the outside. And our friend stopped and talked to him. And he said, you're the first person in three years on this campus has ever spoken to me. In three years. So are we willing to step out and meet them and build a friendship with them and care about them, find out who they are so we can share who we are with them? One of, I think, the struggles that Christians oftentimes face is that that we're easy to speak 
the gospel to people. But if we don't have that relationship, if we don't connect with them on a personal level, they just heard some kind of spiel from somebody. But it's not really that connection where they actually trust what you're saying. And so one of the things that we have seen specifically and personally is that as we build relationships with people, as we connect with people, as what we do, we call life-on-life disciple-making, is that we really want to see people know us. We really want to know them. And so we, as we connect and build relationships, we actually have a voice into their lives. The reality is that London has changed forever. You can deny it, fight it, fear it, or embrace it. Shane and Lindsay are embracing it, seeing an amazing opportunity to spread the gospel around the world. All from London, England. Right here in our own city, in University of Nebraska here in Lincoln, we have over a thousand international students. Mark Bogan works with International Student Fellowship and we'll be hosting here in our building 12 days from now on Friday night a Christmas dinner for them in which we might pray and hope that a hundred of them will come to, uh, maybe more. And we need some volunteers. And Mark, do we have sign-up sheets available today? Okay, Silvana or Mark, either one, to contact them. And we'll uh, be getting more information out next week as we consider what we were and what we are, and how we might share our lives with others. So if we can turn our attention back to Scripture, let me point us to the second major point on your outline, and that is what we are. 2.1 on your outline says that we are in a personal relationship with God. We are in a personal relationship with God. Notice verse 13. But now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far away have been brought near through the blood of Christ. We once were far away. Our sin separated us from God, but we have been brought near through the blood of Christ. What an amazing summary of the gospel for us to consider. That we once were far away, but we have a relationship now with God. The God of the entire universe who created you, loves you enough to pursue a continual love relationship with you that is real and personal. He knows your name. He knows your heart. He knows your fears. He knows your worries. He knows your sins. He knows your habits. And He loves you. And He sent His one and only Son, Jesus, to die for you, to save you, that you might be in a personal relationship with Him that grows daily. 2.2 on your outline. Is because of that, we are at peace with God and one another. Verses 14 through 18 talks about this dividing wall and the two becoming one, talking about Gentiles and Jewish people, and that in Christ, no matter what nation you're from, no matter where your background is, that you can become one in Christ and that we are unified in Christ. I couldn't help but think about the fact that as I visited with some of my friends in this past week and said, so what are your plans for Thanksgiving? You know, some of them talked about the family they were going to see with expectation and with joy, you know, and others, their face would change a little bit and they'd say, well, and you knew that there was going to be a family member coming to their house that maybe there had been some conflict with or maybe there was some worry over 
And it's real. It's life. And just because we have Jesus in our life doesn't mean there will be the absence of conflict with one another. But as this passage of Scripture teaches us, verses 14 through 18, if both parties have Christ in their life, there is the ability to have and there should be peace. We should be at peace with one another. The absence of peace in our relationships with other Christ followers would show the absence of the fact that one or the other of us is not walking with Christ the way we should. If both of us are pursuing Jesus, we ought to be getting closer to one another as we get closer to Jesus, and there should be peace. I know that's not always the case, and it grieves me as such, but there should be peace with God and one another. This is a gift that God has given us, is peace with Him and peace with one another, and a gift that we should pursue. 2.3 on your outline. We are members together of God's family. Verse 19 and 20, such a beautiful picture. We're no longer foreigners and aliens, but fellow citizens with God's people, members of God's household, built into His foundation, the apostles and prophets. These multiple images of who we are in Christ and that we belong to one another. That we belong to one another through Jesus. And that no matter our background, no matter who we are right now, we belong to one another. We are heirs and joint heirs with Christ. To as many as believed Him, to all who uh, received Him, He gave the right to be called children of God. That's who we are. 2.4 on your outline. We are a holy dwelling for the Holy Spirit. Again, you might feel like my use of the word holy is redundant there. But I want to make sure that we know the Holy Spirit dwells in us when we are holy. And I want to make sure that I don't just say the Spirit, but emphasize who He is as God and Spirit, as the Holy Spirit. We are built together, joined together, a holy temple Holy means set apart. Holy means other. Holy means sanctified. And that's who we are as believers in Jesus, as a group of believers joined together as Jesus. As a church, we are a holy temple in which God's Holy Spirit dwells. And in Him, Jesus, you are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by His Spirit. So Jesus does the work. To build us together as a church, a body of believers, in order that the Holy Spirit might dwell among us. As Galatians 3.2 says, we didn't receive the Spirit by works of the law, or by hearing with faith is how we received Him. It is by God's Holy Spirit that we're joined together. 2.5 on your outline, we are desire in saving us. Or excuse me, that's a question there. What is God's desire in saving us? So if we were lost, separated from God, if we were dead in our sins and our transgressions, and God did save us through Jesus, what was His desire in saving us? What did He want to do? Well, you look at these four points that we've just covered, and we are, that... 
He wanted a personal relationship with us out of verse 13. He wanted us to be at peace with him, verses 14 through 18. He wanted us to be members of the family of God together, verses 19 through 20. And he wanted us to be a holy dwelling for the Holy Spirit, verses 21 and 22. Every one of us who calls on him will be saved. John 12, 25 and 26 says, Whoever loves his life will lose it, and whoever hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. If anyone serves me, he must follow me. And where I am, there will my servant be also. If anyone serves me, the Father will honor him. God desired for us to love him and love others and serve him and serve others. So your final application question is, How does this change my understanding of who we are? The scripture that we studied today, who we were, who we are, how does it change your personal understanding? What has the Holy Spirit spoken to you? What difference do you see about the fact that we are built by God, we are built for God, and we must seek a personal relationship with God? Our lives should be different. But so many times they won't be different unless we intentionally consider the difference that God has made in us through Christ. That's why we turn ourselves to a reminder of a scripture like Ephesians 2. Let's pray together. God our Father, you call us to remember Again and again throughout the Bible, you remind your people of who they are in you. You remind your people of what you have done for them. And again today, we're reminded of who we are as a church. That we are growing Christ followers who seek to give our lives away in order to grow Christ followers. So, Father, with all the things that we do, Sunday school and Bible study and worship services and every other activity of our church, remind us of who we are. And the reason we do these things is because of who we are. We thank you, God, for saving us in Jesus. And we pray now that if there's a soul here that has been convicted and understands their own sinfulness, they would put their faith in Him today confessing their sin, and confessing Christ Jesus as their Savior and Lord. It's in His name we pray. Amen.